Hello, Tom Tilly here. Welcome to The Briefing. This is the daily podcast where you get up to speed every morning on the news that you need to know. It is Monday the 27th of April and in the second half of today's show, we're going to take a deep look at corona-based racism. We'll speak to the victim of that horrific attack and then find out how widespread this problem is. First, though, I'm joined by Walkley Award-winning journalist Annika Smethurst. Hello, Annika. Have you downloaded the app yet? Oh, you're putting me under pressure, Tom. I haven't yet, but I feel a lot of pressure too. Everybody's putting it on their Instagram stories and saying they've done it. So, look, it's something I'll have to contemplate today. All right, before we get to our briefing topic later in the show, let's find out what else is going on in the world. And, of course, the first story is about the app. It went live last night at 6pm and in the first four hours, more than a million people downloaded the COVID Safe app. I think it's a pretty good start. A lot of people will be waking up this morning also getting on board. Yeah, you'd think that's a pretty good start for the government, a million people doing that that quickly. As we've heard, they actually want 40% of phone owners to get the COVID Safe app. So we're talking millions and millions, up to 10 millions of people putting this on their phones. Yep, and they've been out trying to sell it over the weekend. Uh, Here's the Chief Medical Officer, Brendan Murphy, saying it will massively speed up contact tracing. That there may be people that you've been in contact with uh, for the period of time that makes you a contact and you don't even know who they are. So we don't have to go and say, anyone who was in this place on this day, please let us know, because we will know. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it was one of the three things that Scott Morrison said we needed to get sorted before we push back on the lockdown. Um, I have downloaded it, Annika. I got onto it pretty much straight away. The funny thing was, it was sort of an anticlimax. There's been so much debate and discussion around this app, and then you download it, and then you don't do anything with it. It just sits there in the background. Yeah, I feel some of the messaging the government had from the start was a little bit off with this, uh, calling it a tracing app and then saying, well, it doesn't actually trace where you go, which is true. What it does is look for people you've come within 1.5 metres of over the past 21 days. If you've been with them for more than 15 minutes, it'll keep some of their details so that if anybody you know gets COVID-19, you can send it out and tell those people. But uh, the idea that it just digitises a manual process is not quite right uh, because you might not know who you're standing in the coffee queue with or who you're sitting next to in the doctor's clinic in the morning. So, look, it does go a little bit deeper than if perhaps you were doing this manually and writing down a list of those people who you'd come in contact with. Yeah, which I guess is the power and the strength of it. What is your main concern? Obviously, You've had the big controversy, you know, being raided by the AFP and your story was about increased surveillance powers, digital surveillance powers. Is it the work you've done in that space that makes you concerned or, or your personal involvement with that story? Look, I think working as a journalist, you um, you rely on keeping sources safe and you don't want any trace of people you've come in contact to. If somebody wants to meet up with me in the next three weeks and, and tell me some information, and God forbid one of us have has COVID, then there is actually a record that we have been near each other. Look, I do understand the benefit of it, though. Um, even the Law Council has come out today and said that while they support the app, there's just some issues around how this data is going to be deleted when this is over. So I, I haven't ruled out downloading it despite what I've been through, but I guess I'm just a little bit more wary because of my experience. Well, I can't wait for you to get on Team Australia, but let's see if that happens or not. Oh! <laughs> I don't really mean that. All right. From today, up to 10 people can spend time together in Western Australia. Woohoo! 
It's the first state to start rolling back social distancing restrictions. That's right. Queensland is also changing some of the rules from this Saturday, including letting groups of 10 go for a picnic or do other activities. Yeah, these are things that we wouldn't have got excited about um, two months ago, but now they're sounding like absolute bliss. Um, Here's Greg Hunt talking about it. He is explaining why these states have been able to roll back these measures. The National Cabinet is not opposed at all to the concept of states considering if a region is free of uh, coronavirus, the capacity to take some cautious steps. That was Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt on the project. He says it'll be another two and a half weeks before the rest of the country might even get that same reprieve, allowing us out of the house. And also one of the other interesting ones Queensland are getting is you're allowed to drive 50 kilometres from your home Mm. without an excuse. Now, that's taking a little half-hour drive somewhere. So um, start marking down those places half an hour from your house that you might want to hit up after May 11. Yeah, it's really interesting to see which restrictions they roll back first. And I guess this is the great thing as we learn more about the virus and the way that it travels, we can have more targeted measures. Obviously, they went for such a a broad suite of lockdown measures to begin with, a, a very kind of blunt approach, which seems to have worked. But now some of these things that actually are really important, we can roll back without increasing the risk too much. Yeah, I think there's been a little bit of hype around that May 11 date that perhaps, you know, pubs will reopen, nightclubs will reopen and we'll all be allowed back down the beach. And I just don't think that'll be the case. But look, some easing around shopping, being able to go out and pick up some clothes or shoes without having an excuse that they're essential for work and those limits around going for a drive. So there is some hope on the horizon, but I still think it'll long, be a long time before you're taking that Kentucky trip around Europe somehow. <laughs> All right, there's more big news on that shocking crash out of Victoria last week where four police officers were killed. The truck driver who allegedly hit them has now been charged. The 47-year-old's been under police guard after blacking out at the scene of Wednesday night's crash. He'll front court today on four counts of culpable driving. Yeah, so culpable driving in Victoria means someone has allegedly caused a death in one of four ways. That could be driving recklessly, negligently, or being under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Now, the driver of the Porsche, who of course got so much media attention, he's been remanded in custody until July, and he's accused of taking photos at the scene and then running off. Big news if you've already finished watching The Crown and you're waiting for another development in that narrative, uh, this time the real-life narrative. Harry and Meghan are reportedly working on a tell-all book. Yeah, apparently they've hired two royal reporters, despite hating a lot of royal reporters, to help tell their side of the story in a 320-page book due to come out in August. And that news has come from Mail on Sunday, which is the publisher, the Duchess, is suing at the moment. There's a court case happening, which is revealing lots of information. They probably didn't want to get out there, but it's all part of this court case. Do you think that's a fairly strong source, Mail on Sunday, for this kind of news, you know, the, the news of a book being published? Look, I know the case is meant to happen separately, but I think they'd be pretty keen to get ahead of uh, any news at the moment of, in the Royals. I'm not saying they would be doing so maliciously, but they have led this coverage and they'd want to show that they're still out there doing it. But look, if this is the case, um, I know there's a lot of Harry and Meghan supporters out there and that's great, but I would have thought a little bit tone deaf given what's going on in 
in the UK at the moment. Um, and timing is everything. And when you've got uh, 20,000 deaths and the Prime Minister nearly lost his life, I would have thought that perhaps uh, a tell-all book through 2020 isn't perhaps the best way to go. I can't imagine the discomfort the Queen is feeling. Yeah, she's got a bit on her plate at the moment, I would have thought. Her husband hasn't been doing too well and her son had coronavirus, so another uh, bad year for the Queen. And some good news for Scott Morrison. Um, Personal support for the Prime Minister is soaring with close to 7 out of 10 Aussies happy with the job he's doing right now. Yeah, the PM's approval rating is at 68% in uh, the latest news poll result. That's one of the biggest numbers we've ever seen since news polls started in the mid-80s. Second only to Kevin Rudd during the global financial crisis who managed to crack 70 in that personal approval rating. Yeah, but it's important to make the distinction this is Scott Morrison's personal approval rating because the bump hasn't flowed through to his party. The coalition has actually come down in two-party preferred terms. They're now at 50-50 with Labor. Yeah, after the election last year when all the polls got it wrong, there was a lot of uh, question about why we depend so much on polls, but it still is, I guess, the best way we have to know, you know, how people are feeling about the current government. And personal approval is interesting because leading up to the last election, when everyone thought Labor and Bill Shorten would win, uh, Labor were ahead in the polls, but Bill Shorten's personal approval never really did any well. He sort of always struggled to get it up to the sort of numbers you'd want to see if you want to become Prime Minister. So there is a sense that personal approval actually does matter because when people go and vote, this is what they think of a person. It's not necessarily how it should be. We're a party system, but um, it's actually a number that they do look at as something significant. Great to speak to you this morning, Annika. We'll catch you on tomorrow's briefing. Great to be with you, Tom. You are listening to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilley. And in the second half of each episode, we brief you in depth on one big important story. Today, race-based coronavirus attacks. Listen to this scenario and imagine you're the one being abused and spat at here. You're 19, you're walking along a suburban street with your sister and suddenly a stranger starts screaming at you. You want to f***ing hand, yeah? You f***ing Asian dog? Yeah? 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 Get the f- That was one attack in Sydney. Uh, Jan Fran joins me now to go deeper on this topic. Jan, the big question is how common are these kind of horrific attacks? Well, unfortunately, Tom, they're more common than we'd like them to be. And I think that we're seeing a spike of them um, in recent weeks. I'll just give you a couple of examples of some of the stories that we've heard. And these stories come from all over the country. So Mm. we had one story on the Gold Coast where a 27-year-old woman was targeted uh, walking into a local shop. Uh, She was told to go back to where she belonged. In Adelaide, uh, there was a counsellor that was spat at while going to pick up groceries. In Melbourne, two international students were kicked and punched. They were called effing immigrants. Again, in Melbourne, a Chinese-Australian family uh, had their home vandalised. They had a racist message painted on their home and they had rocks thrown inside their window. Mm. Um, They've come out and spoken about that incident, basically saying that they're you know, really scared that these people are going to come back and and to be attacked in your own home, um, I think is is particularly terrifying. There's a group called the Asian Australian Alliance. Now they started a survey at the beginning of April, basically to document all of these incidents so that um, the rest of the community can kind of work out what's going on. They say that since the beginning of April, they have had more than 270 reports so far. Yeah, it's a bad situation. So let's find out why this is happening, 
what's been done about it, what you should do about it if you witness one of these attacks, and also what it's like to be the victim of, of one of these attacks. We've got Rosa Doe with us. She's the Vietnamese-Australian. She was the victim of that attack we just heard, which was so horrific. She's 19, and she's here to tell her story. Rosa, thank you so much for joining us. Talk us through that horrific moment from your perspective. Yeah, I was walking with my sister in Marrickville just down the street when um, these two girls were walking past us and started like yelling obscenities at us about our race, saying like we should stay away from them, they've got the coronavirus. And in that moment, I was just so like infuriated and so was my sister. So we decided to like, you know, yell back and sort of like stand up for ourselves and call them out on what they were doing. And that's when she got aggressive and like started charging towards us, threatening to fight us. She had she said she had a knife on her as well, which like really scared me. But I was still just so angry in the moment and like really stunned. She kept calling me like an Asian dog or an Asian whore. Um, she told me to go back to my country. She told me that it was my people who brought the coronavirus over here. Yeah, it just made me so, so angry and really just overwhelmed. And that's when she spat in my eye. She was about to like walk away from me when a bystander came and he intervened, thankfully. And yeah, that's when she turned around, but quickly like spat in my eye before she walked away. Yeah, it was disgusting. Yeah, it sounds absolutely horrific. Was yeah. Was there a moment for you where you felt particularly worried or particularly scared. You said that you thought that she mm. might have had a knife, but you fought yeah. back anyway. What was sort of going through your mind in that moment? Obviously, when I yelled back, I wasn't really thinking. It was just like an instinct of mine to be like, what was that? Like, you know, I, I need to say something. But when she charged back and said, I've got a knife on me, like, do you want to like have a go? I was like, oh my gosh, like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have said anything because I wasn't about to get in like some sort of physical altercation with her. So I was definitely scared. Like, and I was like, my sister is a lot more confident in terms of like fighting someone like physically. So she was obviously wanting to hit back, but like she was trying to protect me. So yeah, I was, I was honestly really, really scared at that point when she said she had a knife on her and she was like, sort of like swinging her arms, like ready to fight me. I was like, I'm not here for this. Mm. So obviously it's horrific to be threatened physically in that way and in any situation. What was unique yeah. about this confrontation given the coronavirus environment and I guess that that being the excuse for that attack? I think racism against like Asian Australians, it's always been a thing, but I think that it's something that, you know, there's a term called casual racism, which I think is like ridiculous that it's even a term. But I do think that racism against Asian Australians has always been quite prevalent. Um, but it's a conversation that needs to be had more. And obviously with the rise of this pandemic, it's instilled a lot of fear in people, you know, with the news and stuff and how um, Asian people are portrayed. It's uneducated people who need to, like, put blame on someone for this pandemic because obviously it's had a huge impact mm. on everyone, literally everyone. Like, this is why we're having a phone call, you know, like we can't meet up and you can't go to work and things. So I understand the frustration, but I really don't think that it's an excuse or it justifies any, um, you know, malicious behavior against a particular race who have nothing to do with the virus. Like I'm Vietnamese Australian, not that it makes it any better if I were Chinese as well. But yeah, I think that this case, it definitely like made it different because it wasn't the basis of the actual virus that had nothing to do with me. And that's why I felt like so targeted. She didn't even know me. She doesn't know who I am. She doesn't know what my name is or who I like. How I treat people. I didn't provoke her in any way. It was just simply based on what I looked like. Yeah. What would you say to someone who is maybe a bystander in a situation mm. like this? 
just to step in and just say, hey, like, that's not okay. Um, I understand why, like, in the moment, there were people that were walking around and I was a bit frustrated that, like, people didn't really come in to say anything before it had escalated to that point. Social distancing was already instilled, so people wanted to keep their distance from people. Um, And this girl did look, like, sort of deranged, so I guess people were afraid as well. But I think definitely if you see something like that, call the police if it looks like it's dangerous. The fact that people filmed it was actually fortunate because we got really good footage of everything and that's like proof in itself. But definitely just speak up and say something and just say that it's wrong and, you know, help people. I think the more that people talk about this, the more the rest of the country and community sort of realises actually how widespread it is. Um, yeah, exactly and, right. Yeah, you know, and it does it does take a bit to actually speak openly about an experience like this. So we really do appreciate it. No, thank you so much. Yeah, and I agree. Like, we just need to keep this conversation going. There's a petition at the moment that was started by a group of Chinese Australians, and it's called um, Unity Over Fear. And you can like sign sign it on change.org. Sort of encourages everyone to yeah choose unity over fear instead of like splitting up all of like. Australia into like these people and these people because this virus is something that we need to overcome together and yeah it just calls for uh, like authorities and stuff to take racist attacks based on the coronavirus more seriously. It's a great message. Thanks so much for being with us, Rosa. Yeah, thanks, thanks Rosa. Thanks very much. Thanks. Have a great day. All right, Jam. Well, that was a very visceral account of corona-based racism there yeah. from Rosa. Let's go to the bigger picture with Chin Tan. His job is to basically monitor racism in Australia. He's Australia's Race Discrimination Commissioner. Chin Tan, thank you so much for joining us. On, on a personal level first, what's your reaction to Rosa's story? Tom, I became aware that it was reported in the press um, when it happened and... Um, we obviously uh, came out strongly with statements condemned, and it was one of the first uh, more visible reports that came through um, about people being abused uh, solely because of their race, ethnicity, and, and sort of COVID-related. And that has been continuous in one of condemnation that uh, you know, total rejection of any such incidents, and it's just uncalled for. It's just, in some ways, many ways, un Australians to be doing it, picking on people singling them out for special attention and abuse at a time like this. Chintan, let's talk about how, how big this problem is in Australia. Um, we mentioned before uh, there's a community group called the Australian Asian Alliance. They've started a survey. They've had around 270 reports of corona-based racism. What information are you getting that gives us a sense of the scale of this problem? Uh, what well, a number is appears to increase, uh, show an increase in February figures to the previous months. And there are many cases that reflect perhaps a more violent nature or abusive that requires attention with the police. And some that's simply where you can't conciliate because we can't find the culprits or perpetrators. And the prime minister has taken uh, that issue on board and he's come out very strongly in condemning uh, racist activities. Why do you think this is happening, Chin? It's understandable. It's not excusable. It's understandable people have a sense of you know, foreboding and they're looking for blame. And and sometimes it's easy when you tell them this is a group or this is an individual, you can lay a blame on. But the fact remains is this, the virus has nothing to do with race, ethnicity or nationality. It doesn't matter where it comes from. The fact is that no one should be singled out to be attacked because of who they are. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you feel like politicians are getting on board. Let's listen to what Scott Morrison's actually yeah. said on this. Absolutely, I deplore 
that sort of behaviour against any Australian, regardless of their, their ethnicity or their religion or whatever it happens to be. And I think that's the view of all Australians. So, you know, we've got to call that sort of thing out. It's not on. That sounds like a good reaction there from the Prime very Minister. Very good reaction. Very yeah. good reaction. The sort of things we, we want to see more happening and a more consistent level right across the country because racism and, and, and the uh, countering of it, it's not the work of just commission yourself or, you know, or a few agencies or organisations. It's the work of every Australian standing up and saying, no, these, these don't represent our values and we reject racism. What would you like to see Australians do to sort of stand in solidarity with victims of attacks like this? I think the important thing is, is when it does happen, to come out and be supportive um, you know, of the victims and to stand up and speak out and call out racism when they see it. Yeah, that's a really strong and I think a really constructive message there, Chin. Thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. Not a pleasure. Can I thank you guys because the work you do is equally important. The message you have, setting the scene, the tone, what's right for us to do as a country is terribly important. But I tell you, the Chinese have suffered a fair bit. They don't need more uh, suffering on top of the ones that they have with coronavirus. They need more support and they're like all Australians. I've said before, they're us. I mean, they're out there, you know, essential services, nurses, doctors, you know, transport workers, you know. They're out there doing exactly what we do on a daily basis. And and if we could support each other at a time like this, stand for each other and stand against racism, I think that's what we need at a time like this. Perfect way to end. Thank you so much for joining us, Chin. Thank you for having me. That was Chin Tan there talking to us. He is Australia's Race Discrimination Commissioner. Yeah, with a really strong, positive message about how to respond to those kind of attacks. Yeah, don't be a douche, I think, is probably the really solid message to get out of there. Yeah, don't take a problem that happened potentially from a wet market on the other side of the world out on an individual that's crossing your street. Yeah, that's crossing a street in Australia. Like, that's just, that's a really long bow to draw. Don't do that. All right, great having you on the show today, Jan. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tom. Catch you later in the week. Tomorrow on The Briefing Podcast, have you thought about dipping into your superannuation to get yourself through the coronavirus economic crisis? A lot of us are really feeling the pinch right now. So is that a good option? We'll answer that and a bunch of other really important financial questions on tomorrow's episode. Uh, Make sure you tell your friends about the podcast. It is The Briefing Podcast. Get it on the Podcast One Australia app or wherever you normally get your podcasts from. Thank you very much. Stay in touch. You can write to us on Instagram at The Briefing Podcast. Make sure you follow us there. Catch you tomorrow. A podcast one production.